We as Americans are great at increasing, right? It's what we focus on, it's what we desire. We want to expand our influence in the marketplace or in the community. We want to grow our job, build our career, increase our savings or retirement funds. Much emphasis, much energy is spent, and a lot of like pride and value and significance is given to increasing. Increase, increase, gain strength, gain, improve your looks, improve your diet, expand your horizons. But what if the concept, the very concept of increasing was one of the biggest obstacles to experiencing Jesus in our lives? What if? What if this concept of increasing, expanding, and building and growing is actually going to block us from seeing Jesus? What if he wants to do some increasing in our lives, <clears throat> but we're too busy increasing the things in our lives? Push and pull. Picture two balloons expanding in a small container. Something's got to give. There's a limited, finite amount of space, and who's going to increase and who's going to decrease? What if us wanting to increase in all these ways actually turns out to just be selfish? I want to be better at, I want to have more of, I want to expand and I want to succeed. And what if Jesus is looking for us to become less and less and less? What if we ever got plenty of pride and we need to like take it down a notch? What if we were to have plenty of possessions and we need to actually give some away? What if all we have and all we're striving for is actually pushing Jesus out? Wouldn't it be such a crime if we increased in our own lives and Jesus got pushed out? I think Jesus wants to increase in our lives. He wants to increase in our minds. He wants to increase in our thoughts. He wants to increase in our behaviors. He wants to increase in our dreams. He wants to increase in how we use our time and how we use our money, how we parent in our families, how we do marriage. He wants to increase. Jesus wants to increase. Remember the mustard seed of the kingdom? He plants a small thing and it's the smallest seed, but pretty soon it takes over the whole garden. Like, I want that kind of a faith. I want that kind of Jesus. Not like the little adding one plus one. I added a Bible verse. I memorized another Bible verse. I learned a thing like, like a Lego castle with Jesus. No, I want the mustard seed. One little thing. Jesus, be everything to me. And then, poof, explosive growth because it's of him. With me and you fighting to like keep ourselves small in the equation so that Christ can become magnified. Like that to me is an exciting faith. And it's actually what Jesus calls us to. And there is a man in the Bible that used that exact phrase and I want us to read from him. It's the next part in the Gospel of John that we hit. And how, what wisdom did John the Baptist have to say, oh, Jesus must, 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 capital M, capital U, capital S, cap, must increase, but? I must decrease. We can't both increase. This world, our heads and our pride and our ego ain't big enough for the both of us. So either we're going to be in there or Jesus is going to be in there. Put me to the side, Jesus. Put us to the side. How many churches pray to decrease so that Christ may increase? How many Christians pray to decrease so that Christ may increase. It's a beautiful prayer. I challenge us to be willing to pray the decreasing prayer. 
plenty of church growth models and how to make yourself a better Christian models for increasing your effectiveness and your sustainability and your impact and your influence. What if you just prayed, Jesus, help me decrease? Doesn't that sort of sound like a Jesus sort of thing where he flips everything on its head and it gets way better when you realize you've been pushing forward and it's trying to increase versus decrease? I think there's a truth here that could really expand our relationship with Jesus as he expands his influence in our lives. So I just want to read it together and think about it. It's a very short passage. It's in John chapter 3 where we've been. We're just continuing on. And I'd like to read it out loud. So we're in John chapter 3. This is right after Jesus teaches Nicodemus about you've got to be born of the Spirit. It's your spirit that's got to be born. Not just your mind. Your spirit has to be born. And so born again, born from above. And we know where the wind's going, right? Or, or we don't know where it's going, but we can hear it. So we're trying to follow God's spirit, his wind, his breath, the pneuma. That was last week. This week we continue on. It goes straight to John the Baptist. And you're going to see... John the Baptist says the exact same things to his disciples that Jesus said to Nicodemus. Same message. Jesus preaches born again, eternal life. Whoever doesn't believe in Christ stands condemned already. Same words came out of John the Baptist's mouth. So as we, as we read this, you'll see it and you'll hear it. It echoes the same, but doesn't it then beg the question, like, shouldn't these be our words to people when we talk about our faith? If they're good enough for Jesus and John the Baptist, I think they can't be all bad for us. But do we talk that way about the eternal life and true coming alive in Jesus for now and for eternity? Otherwise, God's wrath remaining. It's, it's all the same. Just recognize the consistency of the testimony. The gospel is there's one gospel. There's not different gospels for different people in different times. It's just one gospel for everyone for all time. John 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So Jesus was baptizing. We're going to see later on it was his disciples that were, but like Jesus and his disciples were baptizing. Can we just stop for a second and think about how cool that would be to be baptized by Jesus and his disciples? Disciples go down and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and this guy and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? Does that put it in perspective? Baptism of Jesus by Jesus and his disciples. Oh, it's cool. That would have been an amazing baptism to be a part of. Baptismal service led by Jesus. Hopefully every true one is led by Jesus. But anyway, in verse 23, resuming, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And so people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put into prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. What does it mean to be forgiven of our sins? How do I become pure? Do I need to do these rituals? Do I need to make these sacrifices? Do I need to be baptized? They're debating, how do you get your sins taken away? So they came, this disputing crowd came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's Voice. So John's just the friend of Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. 
The people, the church, believers are the bride. We know that. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He's like, this is the best moment of my life to see Jesus baptizing over there. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, he who comes from above is above all, and he who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He's like, I'm limited. I can give you what I got, but he's from above. He's got the full picture. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Ironic. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. Right? Born again of the Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Jesus isn't trying to like set himself up against John. And when he hears that people are disputing and more and more people are going over to Jesus and Jesus' ministry is expanding and people are, are coming to faith in Christ, not just hearing about a Messiah from John, uh, he, he realizes he's, he's like conflicting with another wonderful, beautiful member of the so He's like, I'm going to move away. I'm not trying to fight. We're the same. We're, we're, we're together. And so he learns that it's causing this friction. And he just moves on to the next place, part of God's plan to move him through the countryside. Verse 30, though, is the whole heart of this. I hope you see that. He must increase, but I must decrease. There's discussions over whether it should be Jewish purification or whether it should be baptismal purification. It's not about any of that. No, we're decreasing over here, folks. Jesus Redemption through blood shed on the cross. That's where sins get forgiven. So that's got to get increased. Let's stop our little petty disputes. It's not about that. John's disciples going and going over to Jesus, become Jesus' disciples. So his crowd, his, gather, his, um, his followers growing and expanding. And John's like, awesome. Awesome. What humility. The humility of John the Baptist. Now Jesus says there's no one born... <laughs> under the law, born of woman, that's greater than John the Baptist. And so this great man of God doesn't think he's all that great. He just says, well, I'm just here to point the way to the one who's actually great. What wonderful humility. I, I want us to apply this decreasing and increasing concept to all the areas of our life. And so from here forward, I just want to keep coming back to this, but apply it to this area, and then keep coming back to it and apply it to this area. But can we start with church? How many of us, when someone leaves our church and goes to another church, says, my joy is now complete. They must increase and we must decrease. We had a bunch of people leave our church and people come to it. We've experienced this over the last couple of years. Has it resulted in true, complete joy in your hearts? No, and not in mine either. It's hard. Friends move on. Friends move away. But you know what that hard thing is? That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Because it's not hard for God to have one of his children here and then one of his children here. They've not left the kingdom when they've left the ministry. They're still in the kingdom. 
If people were to leave our church and go to another church, God's kingdom has not shrunk. God's kingdom remains the same. They just happen to be standing in different places They do kingdom stuff. Right? Likewise, when people come and join our church, and it seems like the church is growing, but if they're already Christians, Christ's church hasn't grown. It has not expanded. It's just Christians being Christians in a different place with different folks. Are we willing to say with that kind of humility, praise God that God leads his people to go where he wants his people to be. And as long as people aren't walking away from their faith, then let Jesus increase in their lives. Let people follow Jesus where he will lead them. When Christians go from one place to another as Christians, the kingdom has not shrunk or grown. And I think that's a point where we can just say, all right, well then, we need to talk with God about just the feelings that we experience as people when we have good friends that are with us and then go someplace else and you don't get to spend time with them as much or don't see them as much. That's like a hard thing. It's like a, a kid leaving the house and going away to college or starting their own family. There's just a loss there. But it's not a loss for God. That's not a loss in the kingdom. It's actually no subtraction happening. <laughs> There's just God moving his people around to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. I, I wish that we would be like John the Baptist in this moment of our church life, the life cycle of every church as God leads, that we would say, when God leads someone from our ministry to another ministry of the Lord, praise God, hallelujah. And the times where I feel sad about that, or you feel sad about this, because I'm talking to myself as much as to you, right? We're all friends here, we can just talk. We say, well, that's me feeling sad. That's the flesh. That's not God. God's not sad when his people are still his people doing something he's called them to do. So then, God, forgive me for attributing something wrong to something which was just different. I think there's a lesson to be learned there for the church. I think there's just a freedom. And if John the Baptist could say, look, let him go, and he's the greatest, then certainly we can say that. Because we're not just looking to have Christians build other Christian churches. We're actually looking to build the kingdom. Those seeds we talked about, how would the kingdom actually grow? The kingdom would grow. There's at least a few examples I can think of of ways that the kingdom is actually growing, not just trading Christians. And a lot of church growth is trading Christians. And has been, and is in large part, like for, for years, there's like seasons in the cycle of the church where it looks like churches are growing, but it's actually just Christians moving around. The church actually grows, the kingdom actually grows when someone who was against God becomes someone who is for God. The church just grew. And that can happen to someone who's been going to church even their whole life, but something in them they were against. They were resistant. They were holding up their hands saying, God, no, not me, or no, not now or I'm not sure, or I don't believe. That would be true kingdom growth if someone who is opposed to God becomes for him. True kingdom growth would be our children that we're raising. Coming to a point where they say, I grew up in my family with my parents and this is what they believed, but now I believe that. At that moment, I want this. That's kingdom growth. And it has to happen for our children. They have to have that accountability on their own. So the kingdom grows when our children make that decision for their own. It's beautiful. The kingdom grows when people who are broken and hurting get healing. And then they come to Jesus and say, thank you for that healing. And he says, you know, 
come here, child, follow me. And they say, gladly, where else could I have gotten this kind of healing? That's kingdom growth from broken to restored, from resistant to zealous and passionate, from unknowing to uh, believing. You know, the kingdom grows when someone who's never heard about Jesus hears about Jesus and then says, oh, I want to follow him. He's way better than all the stuff I've been chasing after. So if we're to apply this increasing, there is an increasing. We just don't usually measure it the right way. We're usually very happy when our local church grows, even if it's just Christians coming from other churches because they like our church better. We feel like the church is growing, but, but like, did the kingdom grow? And if not, then we should stop and say, let's make sure we're measuring it the way God measures it because the kingdom must grow. But it must be Jesus increasing. So where are the people that didn't believe that do? Where are the children that just followed but now pursue on their own? Where are the people that were broken that are now healed? Ah, kingdom growth. Now Jesus and we are rejoicing about the same person. And that's a beautiful thing. But it takes quite a bit of humility. And I think in this season of our own church or different people have moved on, it's going to require a lot of humility on our part to say, okay, God, your will be done. But it's also going to require some confession to say, God, I really got angry about that. We don't need to be angry about God leading people in different directions. And so that's a confession moment, right? (laughs) And we also need to say, God, I'm sorry that I wasn't as upset about the people who aren't in your kingdom as so much time I spent talking about the people that are already in your kingdom. So not only forgive me for chasing after Christians, forgive me for never chasing after the unsaved. That's where the true kingdom growth comes from. May our hearts be like John the Baptist, just open-handed, just open-handed. May Jesus increase and may increase in us. So that's a church application. Feels, I don't know, somewhat relevant to me. Maybe you don't agree, but uh, if you think it's relevant at all, take some thought. Pray on this, fast on this. What will God say to our church as we think about his church? You know, the church of God is all Christians who have ever lived, who are living, and who will live, and who are in heaven. That's the definition of the universal kind of eternal church because there are Christians that are yet to be born that will become believers that will be in heaven. There are Christian believers now that are in heaven. Everybody's in heaven is a believer because you're seeing it with your own eyes and you got there in the first place. So there's that. But people who came before that were the believers, our forefathers. Like this church is a bigger thing. It's not even just the Christian church who's alive now. God's church, and he sees it outside of time. So he sees every person who ever believed, who's believing right now, whoever will believe, and who believes in him in heaven is bowing down, crying, worthy, worthy, worthy. That's the church that Christ sees. But we can't see that. We can't even see beyond our, our walls. We can't see beyond our country. We can't see beyond our globe. Like He's got a much better perspective on how attendance is looking in church. God's church, capital C, big church. And that's exciting to me. I want to be part of that church. And I want to see that kingdom and that church grow. May Jesus increase in his church. May we decrease. If we were to apply this to ourselves personally, what are some ways that we think we might decrease in our own lives and Jesus might increase? Think for a second, you know? Well, what are the things that we do? What are the friendships that we have? What would it look like for Jesus to increase in our friendships? Hmm, maybe it would mean more time spent discussing him. Yeah, I think I saw a hand here, a hand there. I'd like to just ask for just a minute or two. 
to think about this together because if we're going to apply it to ourselves, let's apply it to ourselves. How might Jesus increase in our lives? Sally. Um, well, I see it very clearly for myself as yeah. I've gotten older. I've seen very clearly that God wants me to hand the mantle, mm-hmm. to mentor younger women, to um, teach them what he's taught me. And um, it's, it's funny because when I first brought it up to somebody, they... they looked so sad at me and I thought, no, no, this is this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna be here forever. I'm 70 years old and and it's time that I encouraged other women who are yeah. younger yeah. to carry on. And, and that's yeah. part of what God wants each and every one of us to do, whether it's with our children yeah. or or people we're ministering to or or our peers. Mm. I love it. I love it. It's a beautiful personal example. It's perfect. John, do you have a thought too? Yeah. Um, yeah. Keeping ourselves open to the fact that though we might want to, for example, go to do some shopping at the store, God might have an opportunity where we might be able to pour into the lives of some other person, whether we know them or not. Um, and being willing to understand that this isn't my life. The purpose is God and His mm-hmm. kingdom. And the good of my brothers and sisters. Mm. And so any opportunity that God puts in front of us for that, I think it would be good for us to decrease in our esteem of our time and our efforts yeah. and increase in understanding that it's it's all about him. Yeah, it reminds me of the Good Samaritan, you know. Those certain Christians or godly people were very focused on their time was their time. They had increased so all of their time was just unavailable. And so when a real need came up, they weren't there. But for the Samaritan, he was less in his own time so Christ could increase in that moment and he wasn't too busy to respond to a need that he came across. Sandra, what does it make you think of? Uh, Larry has a saying, you know, how carpe diem sees today. Yeah. And I think that you really, you just said it, John, seizing opportunities. Mm. common thread for all of our benefit, yes, but if you're noticing it, then that's Holy Spirit putting a signpost there and saying, Sandra, pay attention to this. That matters for you primarily, and then for us secondarily. He's speaking to you. Those threads, those patterns, that's it's God's hand. That's what his fingerprints look like. So please do pay attention to that. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Think about the different areas in our life. And I want to go on to family. I want to talk about singles. I want to think about a few different places we find ourselves to. So we won't spend all of our time just on this, but 
you know, we, we have income, we have money, we live in a very wealthy country, and we are very well off. Like, what would it look like if Jesus, like, expanded like a balloon in our budget? <laughs> like he was taken over. That's a cool concept. I hope it's not scary to you, because God provides for his children, right? He provides for the birds, he's going to provide for you, so that shouldn't be like, I'm losing my stuff, or God is taking too much, well, it would be broken. No, just like Jesus expanding into areas. What would it look like if this line item and what we spend money on becomes for Jesus? Or what if this thing then is somehow like instrumental for someone else? Just our money is something we increase in. We, are, we ourselves expand. Usually when our income goes up, our, our cost of living and our style of living and our style goes up as well. So we like expand ourselves into our means. We live to our means and often beyond them. And then we have debt we have to get out of. And we've all played this game before. Hopefully we're learning and becoming wiser so money doesn't trap us the way it does so easily. But what if in our budget and our income, if our, our ceiling is up here, what if our needs were shrinking? <laughs> what if our cost of living and our lifestyle needs were going smaller, freeing up more space? What would it look like for Jesus to expand into that space of money? How about at our jobs or our hobbies? We're around primarily non-believers. We are there as a person, but as a person, we might represent someone who likes to work out, someone who likes fishing, someone who likes the Patriots, someone who likes lots of things. We're also a Christian. And really, we should be the Christian first, and there's other things as minor details, but do the people that we talk to and spend time with see us as Christ and a follower of Christ? That might be a way to expand Jesus in our workplace, being the same person, but how we interact with people, how we pray for them, how we spend our time, how we talk, things we do, things we don't. What would it look like for Jesus to expand into our workplace? We have, to, we have to move on, but think about your time if Jesus expanded into your calendar. Think about your friendships. Think about all these things. But think with me for families specifically of, um, of children. But if there's a spouse, two spouses and children, think about what it would look like for Jesus to increase in you as a spouse. For all those who are married, I challenge you to pray for that. That Jesus may increase in you towards your spouse. Pray for your spouse that Jesus may increase in them and overflow to you. With children, I think there's a special application here. We need to become less in their lives, but Jesus has to become more. And that effectively is a handoff. We don't want to be all important to our children for the rest of their lives. But we're afraid that if we become less in their lives, the world will become more. And so we try to hang on. We try to control. We try to like, like do everything we can to like keep inputting. What we need to do is we need to become less in our children's lives so that Jesus might become more in their lives. Jesus needs to increase in our children's lives so that the world will not increase. Because they don't need to keep coming to us asking WWJD for the rest of their lives. They need to ask Jesus, what are you saying to me? Could we pray that as parents, that Jesus may, we may decrease in our own children's lives in importance. And that's a hard thing as a parent. We need to become less important, but Jesus must become more. And if that's the handoff we're looking to facilitate, how do we accomplish that? At whatever age our kids are, they could be grown with grandkids of their own, who knows, it doesn't matter. How do we help facilitate Jesus increasing in their lives so that they turn to him and he expands into all the areas of their life? This is the true job of a parent, not just to give birth and teach life skills, but that we may become less and that the world may not win and may not become more in our children's lives. 
but that Jesus may increase. Pray for that as parents. How about for singles here? Whether divorced, whether never married, whether not wanting to get married, does Jesus increase in your life as a single or does he increase? With you as a single, is it about you? Who do you date? Do you not date? Is that because you want to or don't want to or have a certain type of person or a certain way you're pursuing? Or is it, I'm pursuing Christ. I want Christ to increase in me as a single. How will I act on dates? Who will I date? Am I pursuing someone who also has Christ increasing in their life? The, the danger with dating, right, is that you meet someone and they say, okay, I'm a Christian. But there's no like increasing of Jesus in their life. It's just something they said a prayer one time and then you enter into life with them and it's like, well, that doesn't actually change or make our lives better. We're not living with him. He's not expanding. It's just a thing you said once and now you're living on your own. The world's increasing in your mind and heart. So who are we pursuing as singles? How are we handling sexuality? How are we handling... um, the places we go to meet people. I feel like that's such an important point. And if we're looking for Christ to increase in us as singles, then he will lead us, if it's his will, to that place where you will find someone who is also having Christ increase in them. I've said all I need to say. Because you need to apply this, and I need to apply this on our own. I trust the points been made. A non-godly perspective is one in which we are all important and whatever we want goes and whatever is best for us doesn't matter who else it comes at the expense of. At that point, we have increased to 100% in ourselves. <laughs> There's no place even for friends or family or spouses or kids. They are secondary. You are full of yourself, literally. But what we take care But what we want is for Christ to increase. And for that to happen, we must decrease. Let us close in prayer. Jesus, I feel like you've even been increasing in this room as we've spoken, as we've read your word. Please transform us by the renewing of our minds that we may know your will, your good, pleasing, and acceptable, your perfect will. May we present our bodies to you as living sacrifices, for this is our form of worship. Please teach me, Jesus, what it means to decrease more and more and more and more and more to the point where I'm just hardly even existing in my own life, but that you have taken over and transformed my thoughts and my actions to just reflect you as close as humanly possible. And I ask for each one of us here that you would increase in our lives this week, that you would take over, that you would expand, and that you'd help us to rise as you do. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.